Welcome to She's Up Next, a podcast focused on positive women's media representation and amplifying the voices of young female changemakers. We're here to have open conversations with teenage girls our age with accomplishments in activism, STEM, entrepreneurship, and more. Join us for this week's episode to catch up with what's new in our busy lives and fuel your motivation to achieve your own dreams through the inspiring stories of others like you. I'm your co-host, Jackie Acosta. And I'm Dory Miller. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to She's Up Next. We are so excited to be here with the wonderful Tiana Day. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We're super excited to have you on. I know it took us a few times to figure out our schedules and everything. I know we're all super busy. So thank you, Tiana, for finding the time out of your day to record with us. And yeah, we're super excited to share this episode with everyone. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I love recording podcast episodes. They're so fun. Lots of good conversation. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess before we get into the nitty gritty of the episode, why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself um, and your involvement with uh, social activism and things you're passionate about and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so like you guys said, my name's Tiana Day. I was born and raised in the Bay Area my whole life. So um, this has always been home to me, but I grew up in a small suburban neighborhood about maybe 30 to 40 minutes away from San Francisco. Um, and everyone calls it a bubble. I grew up in San Ramon and um, my situation was a little different than most students. Um, I was one of the only biracial students out here. Um, I'm come from black and Filipino descent and, or like my parents are. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been an interesting journey of just like finding my identity. I found an, founded an organization called Youth Advocates for Change, all about amplifying youth voices through social justice, um, and kind of amplifying creative works and creative students through social justice, finding like that bridge to creative work, such as like photography, podcasting, journalism, like all that cool stuff and bridging that to activism. So it's been a really cool two-year journey, but I'm sure we'll get into all of it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I'm a current uh, second year in community college at Diablo Valley here in the Bay Area. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. That was a perfect introduction. We could not have done it better. And <laughs> yes, we'll get into everything as we move on, move through our questions today. But I think you are the perfect representation of what we're all about here um, and sharing activism. And just I really I really like what you said about um, how your platform is used to um, promote creative awareness of social justice issues. And I think that's something that both Jackie and I are passionate about, both on the podcast and outside and the rest of our lives. So I think we'll have lots to talk about here today. But again, awesome. before we get into the questions, we're going to start with our um, our annual, not annual, I don't know what word I'm looking our, for, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our traditional BuzzFeed quiz. So Jackie, you can take it away. Jackie's our master BuzzFeed quiz finder here. <laughs> um, Tiana, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie, but recently um, all my family can talk about is the new Disney uh, or Pixar, I, don't know, I think it's Disney yeah. uh, movie Encanto. Um, we recently watched it together at home and 
honestly, the music is super catchy. I've been like, have I, I've had all the songs stuck in my head all week. So when I saw this um, quiz, I thought it was really interesting and kind of, it'd be kind of cool to see what we would uh, get. So the quiz is, hmm, let's see what your magical gift would be if you were in Encanto. So uh, my results were, I took the quiz a couple of days ago and I got a different result, but I just took it again. Um, and I got the ability of flight and the little blurb reads, it's a blur. It's a bird. No, it's a plane. Nope, it's you. You harness the ability to float and flutter as you please. You have a carefree, hilarious side to you and can ride the ever-changing and fast winds with ease. Your BFF, BFF is Camilo and you all get into sort all sorts of trouble together. Your family describes you as confident and joyful. And I think this That's is sweet. as it I is like with... <laughs> yeah, as it is with most of these quizzes. Part of it is true and part of it is like... I not as true but that's what I got um either if you'd like to share yeah Tiana you yeah can go I first. Thought, okay cool um I actually haven't watched the movie yet I know I'm I'm actually stuck at watching movies I have crazy ADHD I, I can't like it's so hard for me to sit down and watch movies the last movie I watched was the new Spider-Man movie and that was pretty <laughs> good um but Encanto definitely is on my list to watch um maybe this weekend with my family too but I got the ability to go back in time and it said if you were money you'd be the richest Ooh. person in the world so nice um <laughs> the past and present are in your playing field you're sensible calm and you intelligently use your power you know when to fix things and when to let them be you're a good listener and very aware of the circumstances around you. You're close to Abuela and you're one of the only family members who can understand her upbringing as you've traveled quite a bit. You're also good pals with Bruno No No. Sorry, couldn't help it. Um, I definitely think, I, again, haven't watched the movie, but everything else it's saying is very true about me. Um, we were just talking about this before. I'm a Libra and I'm a like, heavy <laughs> astrology believer um, and like very spiritual um, and if anyone listening is interested in that, my big three is Libra Sun, Virgo Moon, and Taurus Rising. So that oh just basically explains what that is. It's like super stable, definitely the person to give like advice to. And I am the definition of the scales. I see both sides and love the balance. So Goodness. Dory, passing it to you. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, I am obsessed with your big three. I'm also a major astrology geek, I guess you would say. Yeah, Dory's definitely uh, <laughs> expert amongst the two of us. Love I've it. definitely yes. learned a couple of things from her. <laughs> yeah. And I love, oh my gosh. I, first of all, that's basically, those are basically my three favorite signs. I have a, my Mercury is in Virgo, but that's the only Virgo mm -hmm. placement I have, but I resonate with Virgos sometimes more than yeah. Libras, not always, but yeah. I definitely, I definitely see it in my life. Um, but I'm a Capricorn moon. So I also have the air, air sun and earth moon. So yes. I like that. I like that combination, but I love Tauruses. So I'm really, I, I, I can see that rising sign in you for sure. Earth air <laughs> combo is like undefeated. I was just talking exactly. about it. For, with my manager, actually, he's, he's an earth air too. And I was like, earth airs are like the best. Honestly. Yes, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't get the same. Actually, I did. <laughs> Jackie and I, your your response kind of made me laugh a little bit because Jackie and I both got that at one point yeah. and we were like, I, oh, I don't the know first if this resonates. Yeah. Yeah. But it ended up, I think, I think that one ended up being better than the one I got second time around. But I, mine says the ability to turn invisible. 
No invisibility cloak needed. You're kind and tend to let other members of the family speak first. You're extremely empathetic, giving, and humble. Just don't forget to have your voice heard. You're the closest to Bruno and Mirabel. Mirabel. Um, and I would say most of this is true, aside from the fact that I don't use my voice enough. I yeah, think that's what I that was is say. not true at all. I am plenty confident in like especially with my family members I am not afraid to speak my mind um and I feel like in general that that is true so I'd say as Jackie Jackie mentioned this is part true or not so it was pretty, pretty typical yeah, yeah exactly yeah but definitely I actually I started watching Encanto but then fell asleep not because I didn't enjoy it but just because I have a really hard time watching movies at night so I do have to go back and watch it, but from what I have watched, I'm obsessed. I'm also a total musical theater lover, so it's pretty easy to fall in love with movies like this. I'm also obsessed with Disney overall, so I'm definitely going to have to join you in trying to finish the movie at some point this weekend. Yeah, we'll have to watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'd have to admit the only reason why I even suggested in the first place is because it kept popping up all over my 40s page on TikTok. And I'm like, I have to see what this is all about. Yeah. And it was like, I love how it was super quirky and like kind of um, and super centered around family and things like that. So it's fun to watch with my family. So definitely recommend. I think you both will like it. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Jackie and I were actually just talking about doing an episode all about um, representation and animated films like this because I think definitely Disney is definitely improving and I think Encanto is a great example of positive media representation and just the the changes we're seeing and how um like children's books and movies are evolving to represent more people so I think that'll be a definitely. fun episode for us in the future Jackie yeah if you guys sure. need a guess for that I have a friend who um she's actually on the board for my nonprofit, and she's like knows so much about like representation and just like diversity and inclusion she's amazing her name's Bella um but yeah I'll pass on the contact information and I totally agree with that because when Princess Tiana came out of yes. course I loved that like Mm-hmm. Uh, how fitting a black princess who mm-hmm. kind of looks like me has my favorite color and <laughs> um I used to always wear a bun in my hair so now I coach uh-huh. gymnastics and I'm a cheer coach and I always tell the kids that she princess Tiana was named after me and that's how I get everyone <laughs> to like me <laughs> not true but you know, <laughs> it's good for the kids yes that's awesome and yes we would love to have your friend on anyone yeah anyone in this area of interest is perfect so definitely yeah okay well I guess we can get into the questions I know I sent these to you in advance Tiana but we might come up with more as we go so yeah I can start with the first one so Jackie and I actually did a little bit of research on you before courtesy of Jackie (laughs) she found some really great articles and videos of you um but something that stuck out to us a lot was something you talked about in um an interview with your high school magazine that says you so I okay the question is you described that the Black Lives Matter movement was a catalyst to your activism journey can you explain the thought your thought process behind this yes um so I guess I should paint a picture for everyone listening about what my high school looked like um going through it um middle school I so I have like curly hair 
for everyone listening can't like see um I have like this big curly hair and in middle school I went into middle school like really loving my hair and within the first week of being in middle school and I've grown up in the same district same area all 19 years oh not nine like 16 years of my 19 years of life um so I yeah I loved my hair um by the end of the first week of middle school I wanted to straighten my hair every single day and I did I burned it off like it was actually horrible um and that was my first realization of like I really don't like my culture compared to like everyone around me who is like blonde hair blue eyes of course they're like the popular girls and I look different I'm like five foot I was shorter back then too so like I was super short like kind of like I had like big glasses and I would wear glasses to like hide my face like not necessarily like needed them they're like reading glasses but just long story short like growing up here once I hit middle school it was like I could never truly be myself and I hated like myself like I literally had journals talking about like I hate the way I look I hate the way that I feel when I go into these certain spaces like I don't feel safe I was really depressed in middle school which is crazy to think about because like I'm like oh my god my sister's in middle school like that's such a young age to feeling to feel some deep emotions but like mm-hmm. those were some of my worst years so going into high school I wasn't really you know off on the right start even yeah um but when I did get into high school I um there was more like black students and so I gravitated towards them but they were always seen as like the kids who misbehaved or the kids um in the slower paced classes and I was in all of those classes so my high school really didn't do a great job in making me feel supported as a student. Um, and this came out in so many different ways that I'm sure we'll get into later. But um, the, this movement for me, I was never into leadership, never into activism, never was one of those students who was into change making because I was so focused on myself and focused on like what other people were thinking about me, like going along with the trends, trying to fit in with the popular kids as much as I possibly could. You know, I'd straighten my hair, like do this, act a certain way, had a whole nother persona basically. And so when I finally graduated in 2020 from my high school, um, um, it was like, you know, middle of the, pan- the pandemic had just started. We didn't really know what was going on. I was like, okay, I'm graduating on YouTube. Cool. That's really weird. I was not expecting that. Never got my diploma, like never got the high school, like to finish my high school experience. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, screw it. I don't really care. Like moving forward. I never have to see any of these people who like damaged like my emotions growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like an unspoken relief for me like I wouldn't it wasn't something that I'm going to be like yes I'm so glad like COVID happened of course it was horrible for, but for me it was like I'm so glad I'm out of that environment and like I don't have to pretend to be this person anymore so three days after I graduate um the video of George Floyd goes viral and I again um, my dad's black so I like I, I can't even like formulate words every time I, I think about this day. I saw all of the tweets and the Instagram posts, but I never saw the video. To this day, I've probably watched like the first minute of the video, never watched the full video, never planned to. Um, and that's a lot of people in the activism community who are Black because it's just like people were so shocked. And I think that's because I have a story from 
family members, maybe not the exact same story, but like police brutality is a reality in the black community. And the thing is like, it happens all the time. If it wasn't recorded, it wouldn't have gone as viral. So when I first saw it, it was kind of just like a numbness and feeling of course I am like in so much distress and so hurt by it, but it's like, I'm glad everyone's finally seeing like what made you guys wake up. The fact that there's an eight minute video of this guy literally like, like losing his life under a cop's knee like that's what's making you guys feel some type of way about this like this is my life like this is something that I go into every single day waking up knowing I have to protect myself first and if I get stopped by a cop which I have in my neighborhood um I need to act accordingly and I need to act different from my peers who are you know probably going to get a slap on the hand while I could possibly end up where my family, my father, my cousin could possibly end up dead the next second. So it's a really harsh reality. And just seeing all the really fake kids from my high school post black screens, thinking that they're making a difference and thinking that they're they're It's like a trend. It was so frustrating to me. Um, so I, again, I come from a school. It's not as um, like diverse in terms of like black students. So um, I, I know that a lot of them were internally racist and still posting these things. And there were videos circulating at the same time as I'm sure a lot of high schools were videos circulating of students like saying the N word or students like being blatantly racist, but then they're posting this thing and you're like, it's so clear that you're doing this for a show. Um, and I was so sick and fed up because there was this one girl who had helped make the cheer team. And I said earlier, like I coached the cheer team. I coached now my old high school cheer team. So this cheer team was like everything to me. Um, and I helped this girl make the team and she would come over to my house all the time. I would drive her home from practice. Like I really poured a lot of my like big sister energy into her um, because I did have love for her as a friend and like as an underclassman. And she was my turning point for sure um if I never saw this video of her being so blatantly racist um on a snapchat I don't know if I would be here today because like doing what I do because that like pushed me to the next level I was like there's no way you can be blatantly racist and like come home like come to my house after practice like ask me for rides um and so I posted it on twitter and I was like this is like Doherty, that, oh, sorry, I just name dropped my school. Um, <laughs> my, like basically students and parents were saying that students at my school weren't racist. And once I, I posted that video, cause it was like, you know, I graduated, I don't really care what anyone else has to think anymore, has to say, like you guys are being fake. I was just so like pushed to the limit. And after that, I realized just how many students. And by the end of like two days after I posted this, I posted this, this thread on Twitter on Sunday and um, by the end of Sunday night, there was over like 70 students who I added to the thread and like people were adding to this thread of like racist students from my high school um, who were posting these screens and like being super fake. So this is such a long explanation, but yeah, like this movement was like where I first finally found my voice if I can put it in like yeah. a sentence. Like I, I had, I feel like I suppressed my emotions and like how I genuinely thought like that that was okay for like oh I have the n-word pass because my friend is black or because you're black and you're not saying anything like it's fine and it's like it's not and um you know it, it's just so it's so layered and like when you've suppressed it for so long like I've grown up in the same 
space with the same students since kindergarten, I just get used to it. And that's not something that I want my little sisters to experience going to the same schools that I do. So like just being at that high school um, and now like teaching at that high school and seeing, I'm not teaching, but coaching um, and still being surrounded by that and like actually genuinely making changes in with the school district to be more diverse and like actually create resources for black students and other students of color. Like it means a lot to me. And without having that experience, I definitely would not be impacted the way that I am today. Sorry for the super long, long answer. No, don't be sorry. No. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. First of all, I know a lot of that is really personal, um, but I think it really gives a great explanation of your journey in finding your activist platform and just, yeah, just being real. I think it'll, that, that'll trickle into some of our next questions, but yeah, I know a lot has been, especially in Jackie Nye School, even now in 2022, 2021, there's been so much brought to the surface about incidents like the ones you were discussing. Jackie, I don't know if you want to speak on any of that. Well, I just want to say like how much I resonated with your upbringing because I went to a really small private Catholic yeah. school in the city that was predominantly white. So I grew up very uncomfortable with my ethnicity. I'm Filipino as well. So I was one of very few people of color in my entire school. So it was hard to relate to anybody in my class. And I didn't realize how unhappy I had been until I got to high school. And I started mm -hmm. making friends with people who had some upbringings who like called their grandparents Lola and Lola and ate like yeah. traditional Filipino food. Like I wasn't used to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't realize how much of my identity I was compromising in middle school, like trying to relate to similar things that girls in my class were into just so that I would fit in. Um, I didn't realize how much I hated those things until I started to kind of explore and like try new things in high school. Um, like I'm really grateful I went to SI because it's a lot bigger community than I was used to. Like I went to a school with like 30 kids in my graduating class and then going to a school, which I believe now we have like almost 400 kids and yeah. like a almost what 1500 student body there's so many different people from all over the bay area that i've gotten to meet with and interact with and i've kind of like you said when you went to high school like found your voice um when i got to si i was like i want to be a part of leadership i want to help bring new perspective and new voices um to the student body because what i had seen especially freshman year was that like those like the students in charge, they were predominantly white. Mm -hmm. um, and there wasn't a lot of diversity. And there was this big separation between students of color and, and the white population at SI. Um, so something we've been working towards the past couple of years is diversifying that and kind of bringing issues to the surface and not kind of like shoveling them under the rug. So when you, yeah. when you brought that up, I was like, wow, I, I can really resonate with that because I went through something very similar um, as well, but yeah. I love that. And like the, the way I paint my school to be like, let me give some background to like, we're one of the top public schools in California. I think it's wow. like top, one of the top 10, like academically gifted, but it's all because everyone here is like immigrants, like my entire neighborhood. I don't think there, when I grew up here up until middle school, my entire neighborhood was, um, there was no people of color it was just all like white neighbors and we were the only black family now um it's all 
um, South Asian and Asian. My entire high school is South Asian and Asian um, and white. And I liked that once I grew up more and I realized like, oh my God, there's like so many Filipinos that I live around. But it's the fact that everyone suppresses still their culture. And it's like, I wish I would have been able to know like how your family immigrated here. Um, I would love to tell the story about how my grandmother moved here from Manila and like, you know, started our family over here. um, And all that, that is just so beautiful. And like, I think that's another part of it is like being mixed. You have two identities that you have to combine into one. So sometimes you get, you don't look Filipino or you don't look black or you don't act this way. And I'm like, I am just me. Um, so that added a lot to, um, to just everything on top of like it being so much academic pressure, like being where our average GPA was like a 3.8 or something like that, which is insane. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot, it's layered. I won't, I can ramble on all day, but we'll get to other questions. <laughs> No, don't, don't feel free, feel free to keep talking about whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, this, so, okay, this is still speaking on a similar topic, but more focused on the faculty of your school. So the question is, what has your high school experience been with racism and how have you seen teachers and other staff members handling these issues? In other words, what actions have you seen taken or not taken? Okay. So I'm going to come at this from like three different perspectives, okay. like me being a student, me being an activist and me now being like, I guess, a leader in the community. Mm-hmm. So as a student, my ninth grade class, we read To Kill a Mockingbird and had a white English teacher and she would say the N word every time it came up. And if any students wanted to read, they can volunteer to read. And it was only the white students who would ever volunteer to read. And they would be allowed to say the N word in class. And it was so awkward to me. I was like, what, what do you want me? Like, you just want me to sit here and be like, oh, oh, that was, that was ugly. I didn't like that word. Like, just take it like punches. Um, And the thing is like, of course you don't feel empowered as a student to like correct a teacher but it was all the black students and now like looking back and talking to some of them um like post-graduation or like even like them older now they're like why didn't any of us say anything like that was really weird and it's like of course we're not going to say anything like you're not supposed you're not taught to correct the teacher and I think that's rule like one of the biggest things that I wanted to like tell my sisters and like younger people like correct whoever you need to like whether that's your parents whether that's your teacher whether that's like anyone in your life of authority even like respect is mutual if you don't respect me I not that I shouldn't respect you but it's like it's a mutual thing respect is mutual and like without you respecting yourself enough to be like okay like I deserve to say something about this like this makes me uncomfortable the fact that like teachers don't make you feel like you can talk to them is a really big problem um, in high school and middle school in school in general. And I, I think that's a big lesson. I walked away from high school with that. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that it was a problem until I graduated and all of this stuff kind of like surfaced the Black Lives Matter movement. And like I started leading protests and everything um, and which it's a whole nother topic to talk about maybe later. But um, yeah, I think from that perspective of a student, I definitely experienced that. All of, we had like hall monitors, like security, 
and they only knew the names of the black students. Um, they would like say like, good morning, Tiana or whatever. Like, are you gonna skip class today? Like stupid things like that. But the thing is, I was a bad student. I will say that not a bad, bad student, like horrible, but it was like, I was at a higher risk to skip class or get in trouble. But I think it's set up like that. And I can go on and on about the school to prison pipeline. But I think especially for black students and black and brown students, the school to prison pipeline is absolutely a topic that like every POC should educate themselves on because it's so scary how quickly you can be criminalized. I remember I was, I got called in one time and they like put it on the loudspeaker, like Tiana, can you please come to the principal's office? And I was like, why do you have to tell the whole school? You know exactly where my period is. Like you could have came. And then all this rumors were surfacing. Oh, what did you get in trouble for? I was like, I didn't get in trouble for anything. They just were like checking like contact information for my parents or something like that. Like they didn't need to do that. And they don't do that for my white peers. Um, and it was the same for all of the black students that I hung out with. And um, I can talk about it all day again, but like, I'm really passionate about this topic called ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. And it basically is a study done by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. And there's a TED talk that I'm definitely gonna send you guys later um, to watch. And it talks about um, students with higher adversity are more at risk for certain, like students who have gone through trauma, whether that's like, um, abusive trauma that's emotionally like emotionally abusive mentally abusive like sexually abused um it they are at higher risk for more things whether that's like getting into at-risk behaviors like drugs going to parties, like drinking a lot of alcohol self-harm depression anxiety all of this stuff and I didn't understand myself growing up but I did grow up with a lot of like trauma rooted in like like childhood trauma and then on top of that like you add like being excluded due to your skin color like your whole life and being like used to that that's a whole nother layer and like I don't think people realize how much you can hate yourself and how what a dark place you can get into if you just genuinely don't like the way you look and um that was my senior year I did my research project on that and that's I think was really the start of my activism career was doing that project and realizing like oh, I'm not damaged. I just need to heal from my trauma. And like, I just started seeing everyone like that. Like there's no, every single person in jail right now, like they have trauma that not me, doesn't mean that that's okay for them to act that way, but like hurt people hurt people. And like, I live by that. Like if you don't heal your own trauma, you don't heal yourself. You're just going to cause more disruption. You're going to like ruin more people. And um, like your healing journey is your own personal, is something you have to take really personal and to, take very seriously or you're just gonna like hurt the people around you and the environments that you're in so um yeah that was basically a conclusion to me being in high school um and the way I view this is just like I was a victim in a lot of like situations that I thought was normal because I saw my other black peers going through it but it's not normal and it shouldn't have been okay for us to act like that but also the teachers aren't trained admin is not trained it's not a topic that's talked about where they would know better in the sense not again not to ever say that it's okay for them to treat students differently but racism is rooted in our 
society. Like racism is in everything. You see a black cat and you think that's bad luck. Like you see an angel and you think, oh, angel, like white, pure. Like, why is that? Like, why do we think black is bad? Like it's, it's like little things like that. You don't realize like how rooted it is. Like police were slave catchers back in the day. Like that's what policing was from. And when we talk about like the Black Lives Matter movement and why people believe in abolition and like all of these harsh radical things it's because they do their research and they understand like how deeply rooted this is um like and not to be like super political but like it's it's so much deeper than just like what the news is covering um and then from the perspective of like now being an activist I think all faculty and admin like look up to me and they're like oh Tiana you're such a hero in the community like speaking up and blah blah, blah. like I the second I graduated my athletic director was like please come coach and it was it wasn't a hard decision because I love cheerleading and I, I really want to like break the stigma between like blonde, blue-eyed cheerleader instead of to like curly-haired cheerleader, black and short kind of thing. Um, but also it was like even just debunking like racism in my cheer team, like they used to make us straighten our hair. And I was like, why do I need to straighten my hair and spend two hours like do for a high school football game like we're not, we're literally performing for a student body um so just like things like that to just were like horrible too but um like now graduating and being an activist and like no being known as a community activist I feel like teachers treat me very differently and they're kind of like more sensitive around the topic and it's always like people who know what I do are like oh black lives matter like I really support everything you do and then you like look on their Instagram and it's like the clear opposite or stuff like that so I, I feel like now I'm just experiencing a lot of fake people who are like oh my god you were honored on CNN as a top a top hero of 2020 like you're on a New York Times article because of your activism you lit a protest over the Golden Gate Bridge of over 50,000 people like wow you're in a commercial featured because of your activism and your nonprofit is now like globally recognized. Like it's things like that where I'm like, why do you care about the little things like that? Like activism is not fame. And it's like really disgusting to see people act like that. Honestly, I still coach there and I still go back there because I genuinely care about like making the difference, like changing people's ideas and like having these real world conversations like this, because on the outside, like, yes, I look like this person who's like reached a lot of people and like been able to speak in like really great platforms. And I'm grateful for that. But at the end of the day, it goes back to the work. And I think when it comes to activism, it's about passing the mic. It's about like having these conversations on a podcast to educate other people. Like it's all rooted in education and the fact that our education system is broken to begin with. It's like, it takes a lot more and it's not necessarily any like black or brown person's like responsibility to educate other people. So I think in, in all, like to wrap all of that up, like I just think the education system is so flawed in so many ways. And like my dream would be to open up a public school, but I mean a private school that's like my own curriculum, but like not super expensive for students to attend. Um, and there are a lot of really great private private schools that do implement this, but like obviously coming from public school, I have to do a lot of work with my school district in order to see changes in the California public school system. Well, I really like your your goal that you shared with us at the end. I think that's a really great thing to work towards. And I, based on everything you've talked about today, I think you're fully capable of doing so. But thank you again for sharing all of that. I think you 
touched upon a lot of really strong points of things that I know Jackie and I have learned about in the past couple of years in our school curriculum. I mean, not to the extent that you were able to discuss today, but I think that's something that's more and more like the school to prison pipeline. That's something that's becoming increasingly more recognized. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important to talk about things like that. So thank you for sharing that on our podcast. We haven't really had been able to have conversations like this um, so yeah. far. Oh, of yeah. course. I'm so glad to be here. And like, again, I, I'm such a person who like loves to spread the knowledge that I've yeah. learned because I've learned things like this from panels, from podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's awesome. I love what you guys do. Yeah. And as much as we love sharing about you and your accomplishments, we also want to be educational. So you're doing yeah. all that for us. So thank you. <laughs> Jackie, you want to yeah. add anything? Yeah. I mean, just to speak a little bit to that point, um, you brought up at the end about how you um, kind of have to struggle to bring about change in your schools by continuing conversations with the school board. I mean, Dorian and I are a little bit, are, I guess, fortunate in a way that we go to private school. So mm-hmm. um, like having these types of conversation with our administration is a little bit easier. Whether getting them to listen is easy, but getting them to implement change is a little bit, is a little bit of a different issue. Yes. Um, I know over the past two years, like especially on the onset of like George Floyd and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, the administration kind of came out and was like, okay, like we're dead, we're dead, we're making it, we're, sorry, I'm not finding (laughs) words today, but we're we're dedicating ourselves to um, like making a change towards diversity and inclusion. And they went on and we had, like Dora and I were on a panel um, Mm -hmm. talking about our own experiences, like me as a person of color and Dora as an ally. And there were like some steps made in the beginning, but then since then it's kind of, gotten really stagnant and the conversation mm-hmm. kind of stopped. Um, I know I, right now I'm taking a social justice and social movements class, like as a senior elective. And um, I think more than 60% of the kids in the class are POC. And last week we had a conversation about like the importance of t- about talking about race in schools and like where, like when in your schooling, like time in school, like does racism like take root and a lot of kids brought up like instances when they felt like you said they didn't like they weren't valid enough to share their experiences and Mm -hmm. didn't have the confidence to speak up I know like I kind of don't know like last year there was an Instagram started by a couple Mm -hmm. of alumni at our school and um, students of color were able to submit like instances when they experienced racism anonymously and they were shared Mm -hmm. and I know that the leaders of that Instagram kind of sat down with the administration to like talk about like things that need to be changed and things like that but um I just wanted to say like that what you're doing is is not easy because we've kind yeah. of had to try ourselves and we've kind of hit a dead end but yeah I'm yeah. really glad to see that like it's like that like last year wasn't the only time when people are having these conversations and they're continuing today yeah yeah well even to add on to that like what you guys are doing is just enough you know like it starts with the student body obviously like you're they have a school to teach students. So if students are passionate about it, you rally up enough people to like make it louder. I think you guys are definitely on the right way. Like the fact that you guys are coming out of this school, like starting your own podcast outside of school that you're doing on your own time, like that is good signs. Um, I actually, I don't know if like you guys found me through Paloma um, or if you know her, but there's a girl SI and um, yeah, Paloma, she's my community outreach director. And like, I have been so blown away with the amount of things that she's like added to our organization. She's like 
the powerhouse of it. I literally tell everyone she's the backbone. Like without Paloma, <laughs> my world would not run. The organization would not keep going. And it's like students like those who genuinely have the passion for it and genuinely have the passion for like social justice and like making change who are gonna drive the faculty to do something about it. Yeah. And if you don't do it, like literally who else is gonna do it? You know, like it's it's a hard task. Activism is so difficult. And like, I don't even, I didn't even call myself an activist until like everyone was calling me an activist. Like, I'm like, I just care about the community and yeah. I care about what I'm learning. And I think that's one thing that gets really swept away because we don't, we aren't, we aren't interested in what we're learning in high school. Like you genuinely like don't care or I personally didn't care. That's why I would skip school. And it's like, if I learned something that I did care about maybe I would stay on campus or maybe I would stop, you know doing whatever I was doing back then and like finding something else to like give me a thrill or something else that interests me. So um, I feel like you guys are definitely taking the first steps and like that's so awesome that um, you guys are like actually urging for change and like I I say keep going. Um, I think you're like diversity and equity uh, someone on that board at SI added me on LinkedIn and like I'm oh gonna like chat with him um, just about like what you guys are doing at SI because I, I really do think you guys are like a lot more progressive compared to public school I mean like I have gone I've had my like forced my like 12 year old sister to speak at a board meeting because it's like imagine like seeing a 12 year old like cry and talk about how they feel so underrepresented like it takes that kind of thing and it sucks that like humans need to see like emotions and like heartbreak in order to have empathy and that's what I feel like this whole like not the whole like George like what the George Floyd video made me realize is like it it took that for people to realize like Black Lives Matter started when Trayvon Martin was killed like Black Lives Matter has not it's not just like a tagline like this is like reality and it has been like my dad was um an activist for the Rodney King era so like that it dates back to like when he was my age and then like my grandfather was um a, one of the founding members of the black panther party in oakland so it's like it goes back to that like it's not just like black lives matter right now it's like the whole history of like black america and how messed up it is i took this college course talking about like literally everything kind of like 1865 and after which is a really long time span <laughs> to cover in one class but it was so eye-opening just like learning about the great migration and how like all of like 6 million black people like migrated out of the South and into the North and the West. Like that is so cool to me, but it's like, why did I not learn that um, in certain classes? And like, if, if I did learn it, it wasn't something that we dove into. Like we're not learning about these things. And I mean, that's just like to show like how whitewashed society and education is. And like the only people who are going to change it is like the next generation who becomes the teachers, who become the lawyers, who become the doctors, like every single thing we think of is rooted in racism. It comes to OBGYN, like they would like literally cut up the slaves and like black people and like operate on them without medicine. And then when they did it on white women, they would do that and then say that white women were crazy because they would just medicate them heavily. So like you have this whole like stigma between like black women don't feel pain or like they have a much higher pain tolerance so you can operate on them and you can like do this and like that's where the whole like talking about using black and brown bodies for experiments and like using them to figure things out um and like just using our bodies and mistreating our bodies I think there's so much like generational trauma I could go into too which is like the black community and like black and brown bodies in general just like people of color and it's 
like I said, I learned this all within the past two years. I started this like activism journey or my organization and my organization doesn't even like focus mainly on race issues. It's just like, that's my passion. And I know there's a million students out there with different social passions. And that's really where my organization comes in. It's like, you're passionate about climate change. Cool. Like how can we turn that into a podcast episode or how can we turn that into um, a photo shoot and use your guys' talents in order to create social change? Like that's where my organization comes in. But like, this is, this is like Tiana talking, not like Tiana founder of Youth Advocates for Change talking. Um, when I say all this I always have to like put that pointer out because people are like oh like cool a like race equity organization but like it's it's a whole thing just like space for youth in social justice um but yeah anyways back to the topic I just I think there's so much to learn and there's so there's still so much to learn which is really cool um but like I would love to see it implemented into our schooling (laughs) I totally agree I think if students could see how what we're learning in class applies to current events and our current situation. They'd be Mm -hmm. a lot more interested to get involved. Um, I think just like learning about things that happened 200 years ago, they don't see the connections that are made and that's how history repeats itself, unfortunately. So I definitely agree that there needs to be like an update to curriculum and just, or just a different approach to how we have these conversations. 100%. Yeah, and I know this is backpedaling a little bit, but um, I really like, Jackie, what you were talking about with our situation at our school um, and how I was just thinking about how, so basically my whole life, I feel that I've put teachers and faculty members on a pedestal and I have a really hard time. I've always been very mindful of authority and I'm scared to, scared if a teacher doesn't like me, scared to misbehave, just overall kind of, I've been a teacher's pet at various points in my life. Um, and I think that's something that I've definitely been trying to step out of recently and being able to recognize these higher ups as, as people who need to be held accountable for their actions and inactions within our community and how important of a role they do play because as much as Jackie and I are working to contribute, we do go to a private school that everything is controlled by a very tight knit um, group of staff members. And yeah, I just think I, I really appreciate what everything you've been saying, Tiana, about just keep working towards it, no matter how much it seems to be at a standstill. Um, and yeah, I think Jackie and I are going to take a lot of inspiration from today as we move forward. But again, thank you for all of the educational material you are sharing with us. I feel like I've learned so much already today and lots I want to learn more about. But um, again, getting into some more questions, Uh, you've talked about this quite a bit throughout your responses, but um, we wanted to touch a little bit on mental health. And I know you also talked about this in one of of your articles. Um, And the question is, do you feel there is a stigma that exists around mental health in the black community? And where do you think this stems from? Absolutely. Um, Oh God, I can go so many perspectives from this. So, one ground grounding where does it stem from generational trauma I mean like you think about it and like when a woman has a child like her emotions are I'm again very spiritual so it's like your emotions are attached to that you know like your your emotions go into whatever you're putting your energy into um so for the black community you think about like 
one, I want to define like what Black versus African American is. Like African American is knowing you came from Africa and you are of African descent in America. Black is you are a slave. You have no idea where in Amer- in Africa you came from. So I think when people are like, oh, you stole like Black culture, like there's a very big reason why that's a problem in midday society is because we don't have culture. Like Black people got robbed of their culture. We were put on ships from Africa and sent here and were slaves. There's no, you came from this part of Africa. There's no, you came from this tribe. It's you were taken and you were put into work against your will, not for like literally, like it just, it blows my mind. I, I could like try and analyze this so much, but like, I think, that's a big part of it is like you don't realize like how much like you like Europeans have like taken from the black community like it is everything it is your culture it is your background like my dad raised me to like say hi to black people all the time and I was like it's so weird like my dad knows everyone he always says hi to like all these black people it's like my dad knows every black person in America I grew up thinking that um we'd be at Safeway and he'd be like hey how you doing like I'd be like good and I'm like how do you know him he's like I don't know him you just be nice to black people and I'm like okay why um and he used to tell me because you know you don't know what tribe you came from in Africa, like your ancestors way, way back when. So it's like, you all share that generational trauma. You guys all like have a lived experience of not knowing where you came from. Like I could do ancestry.com right now and like know certain things, but it's like, you, you'll never know those like stories. You'll never have that like deep history that maybe like your Italian friend knows um, or someone like my Filipino side knows, like I know I came from Manila um, I have no idea where that traces back when it comes to my black side because we're just known as black. Um, and that's okay to say like black versus African-American. I'd rather be called black than African-American because I'm not from Africa. I'm stolen from Africa and here in America. Um, so I think going back to the question, like how does that affect your mental health? Like generational trauma is like a trauma that your ancestors live with. Like my slave ancestors lived with and it's continuously passed down to me like just knowing in the back of my mind like just having those like civil rights and like slavery units like knowing how much people who look like me and I identify like like have gone through like that takes a toll on your own mental health that takes a toll on the way the way that like our beauty standard is like the basic like European beauty standard like that takes a toll like it I think it all stems from generational trauma but then on top of that it stems from things that people reflect like reflect onto us like oh in OBGYN practices they would cut up a woman's sorry this is gonna might be so graphic make sure to put a trigger warning (laughs) but like yeah they like literally like cut women in their uteruses up to like just like discover the human body and it was like they would just practice on people who were alive like they wouldn't even use like cadaver cadavers I think so yeah yeah like they wouldn't even like it's like rooted in so many different yeah it's rooted in so many different layers like it's just like they use black and brown bodies like Native Americans and black people sorry not Native indigenous um and I think it's a lot more respectful to say indigenous than Native American um just random um (laughs) but to put in there but um 
Yeah, there's just so much trauma that comes in the Black community. And then you add on to that. We're so used to losing people. We're so used to um, our ancestors being killed by slave owners. We're so used to um, take like people dying in the streets due to police brutality. It's something that you become numb to. Like I said, like I saw the, the George Floyd video. I was like, okay, another Black person who died. Like, not like, it was just like, yeah like that happens like that's something that's normal like you hear oh your cousin is in the hospital because they have chronic illness it's like okay like I'm not surprised like you don't realize how much trauma can impact your health as well and like if you read about that like ACEs study or adverse childhood experiences it's like I'm sure it's not marked officially but like growing up being discriminated against I'm sure is like a horrible childhood experience and like when you grow up in a like a country that doesn't support you and you're you not protected by the police um I can go so many different directions but I think the quickest way to do this is like um my my boyfriend for example he lives in Virginia and he was taught his car got broken into the other day and the first thing that the cop asked was um what race are you and what um, what race are you? And he's like, I'm black. And he, he thinks that like another black person, cause he had saw the people who he th thinks did it, um, because they were like talking to him weird. It doesn't matter. Um, but the second they heard that he was black, they were like, okay, like we'll, um, we'll look into it. And they never sent anyone to check his car. So like in the South, for example, like it's still so deeply rooted and like hearing these experiences from people who I have, um, like friends with or like people I know in other states like California is yes is very progressive but like when it comes to like still being in that environment for example like you really don't realize how much you've internalized it and how much like internal racism everyone has like even black people have internal racism like everyone it's like rooted in every single thing that we do when it comes to like even like having security guards like why do they have certain security guards that are black? Because people are afraid of black people. Like, why are you afraid of a black? What is, why are you afraid of this person? You don't even, you don't even know them. Um, so like going back to mental health, black people are just so used to losing, um, whether it's people to mental health issues, whether it's losing people to police brutality, losing ancestors, um, just like you're so used to always coping with something and it's not, it's not really accepted in the black community, which is why you see people like who are black acting hard. Like they're just traumatized. They're just hurt. Like it's, it's a front. Like it's not, it's not something like, oh, black people are so abusive and they're, they're always doing crimes and all this stuff. Like they're just also hurt just like any other race and any other person experiencing trauma. Like trauma is a, a crimes. I feel like are a result of trauma and, um, yeah, you can like ask me any question. I'll probably tie it back to like trauma and like why people aren't healed, who people who aren't healed um, do that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, like there's a lot of things that I'm like researching now where it's like they have groups for black people to talk about generational trauma. And it's like, you don't have to come in there with a specific trauma that you're facing right now, whether that's like abuse or anything. Like, it's just like you are grow, you, you are born into a life of trauma. So, um, going to take a toll on your mental health and you add this life work um any other abuses and I mean I think I said that any other um abuses that you're experiencing like it becomes a lot and like 
suicide is high in the black community, like depression and anxiety is high. I grew up like having a crippling eating disorder and like horrible anxiety, very suicidal at times, very depressed at times. Like, and I just thought that was normal. And like, it's, oh, it's because of this. Like, no, it's because of that. But it's also because like you were born into a life where you're already expected to experience these things and then put on a happy face because black people are already seen as weak when it comes to like, you look back at slavery, like you think of a black person in slave times, you're like, oh, you have nothing, you know? Like, you don't, you're owned by someone else. So of course they don't want to come out here and, or I don't want to come out here and be seen as weak or like seen as less of someone else just due to my skin color. So it's, it's so deep. And a lot of this stuff is like things that I've just like thought of and not necessarily things that other people agree with or say as well. But like, if you ask me, like, that's how I feel about mental health in the black community and there's still so many resources that aren't available to us um because it's not even accepted in our own homes because you're just expected to like go on like what else what are you going to do about it cry about it like that's not a, that's okay you're wasting time um just those kind of responses and I think that's an unhealthy way that everyone views mental health um or like most people think other people view mental health until it's yourself and you're like oh I, I'm like really am struggling and I need help and um, that's when I feel like this generation is doing a lot to change that. And mental health is now a topic of uh, a big topic that's being talked about. But before that, I think it was a lot worse. Um, but luckily, more resources are coming out. Not enough um, in the Black community. But I think that we definitely do have a lot of things that are changing, which is positive. Well, I love that you ended that on a positive note, but I think you shared a lot of really important things that aren't, again, as, you, as you've emphasized, that are not talked about a lot. And I personally follow a lot of um, mental health and eating disorder awareness platforms. And that's something that both my mom and I actually have done a lot of research together because that's something we both share passion for and have impacted both of our lives. And it really devastates me how, how much inequity exists in healthcare, not, not just healthcare, but like psychiatry and, um, healthcare services for people struggling with mental health disorders. Um, and how there's also a large stigma around, um, people receiving diagnoses and whether that, um, I guess validifies whether they like, they're considered sick in terms of whatever, whatever they're going through. And I think that in general, people really struggle with is, oh, I was not hospitalized for this. So my, my, what I'm going through isn't real, things like that. And a lot of that exists because of um, inequities for people of color receiving the treatment they need for um, whatever mental health, whatever mental health issue they're going through. So that's something that I've tried to try to research as much as possible recently, but I think you, you brought up a lot of important things that I've not heard before um, in that in that subject area. So thank you for bringing, bringing that to our attention and sharing that with all of our listeners. I think that's something that needs to be talked about mental health as a whole, but specifically how it affects people of color is something that really needs to be brought to the surface. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap things up, we want, we have one last question that is really narrowing in on what we like to talk about here, which is media representation. 
Um, so since the start of your activism journey, we know you have received a lot of positive media attention. I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, but you talked about being on CNN and that amazing video of you. Um, but I know you said in the article how you kind of felt a sense of discomfort with the way that the media has portrayed you um, and kind of I know you've again mentioned it earlier about being seen as a hero and why you don't necessarily like that term. So can you describe more of your feelings surrounding these media appearances? Yeah, um, gosh. Okay, well, to start off, like imagine just graduating from high school. Like I was planning to go to a predominantly like way more like less diverse school mm -hmm. um, for, on a cheerleading scholarship. I was going D1 for this new emerging women's sport called Stunt. And so um, I had my full scholarship. I was so excited, so ready. Um, committed already, ready to go to school. And suddenly I am thrown into this world of activism that I didn't even know like existed in me. I mean, I've always been someone really passionate about social change, but not passionate enough to say anything. So, I mean, I, I think I started saying earlier, I started that Twitter thread on Sunday calling students out. And by Wednesday, someone had asked me to speak at their protest in, the, in my city. So I spoke at that protest. It was the first time I ever spoke um, Thursday, I went to a protest um, in a neighboring city. And on Saturday, I led my first protest across the Golden Gate Bridge, which was one of the biggest protests that the um, California saw in the entire summer. There was over 50,000 people who came out. And if you know anything about the Golden Gate Bridge, it's roughly two miles there, roughly two miles back. Um, and it was packed for like I think minimum like maybe two or three hours of people who were like waiting on to get onto the bridge uh, at one point people had taken over the streets and hopped onto the freeway and closed down the bridge and it was a very diverse group it wasn't just all black people but it was literally so many allies it was a beautiful moment and like my my message when I when I walked was to lead with love and I still stand with that um but just to kind of like put the perspective of like, I was not, I brought fifth, three cases of water bottles, you know, like I was not preparing. I was preparing for it to be myself and my family and maybe a few other people. And I posted the flyer for this event 18 hours before I was marching. So um, to imagine being 17 years old and like your life literally blowing up because of all of the emotions you've had kept underneath the surface and they suddenly like explode in one day and the in action of 18 hours like I told my mom mom I'm gonna um do protests across the Golden Gate Bridge tomorrow and she's like you don't even live in San Francisco like you don't even know like everyone was discouraging me on this my dad had like begged people on Facebook to come out because he thought I was going to be like embarrassed that no one came um and I think it it was a really amazing experience but it happened so quickly for someone who didn't know enough. I'm not as educated as I was back then. And my, my message was very surface level because I, I would invalidate my own emotions and my own feelings. And like, you know, I'm really grateful to grow up in the suburban neighborhood surrounded by all of these students who are really, really successful academically, but both like also like generationally. I grew up around a lot of people with generational wealth and a lot of people who have things handed to them on a silver platter. While in the meantime, like my parents work my dad worked five jobs at one point my mom works also and I had to kind of like be the big sister caretaker of my little sisters and like I have a very different story than the rest of my family but the way that 
the media portrayed me is, oh my God, this adorable 17 year old lead with love. She loves everyone. Um, she's all about like, you know, like it was like such a, what like the media whitewashed me. I think that's what I'm trying to get with this. And like, it was so, it happened so quickly. It was like every single day I had a different interview, whether it was with New York Times or the Washington Post, a podcast episode, an interview with um, ABC7, and then it slowly turned into um, we commercial for us, you know, what you guys are saying, like, um, we want you to represent like black youth in this HP commercial. And I was like, okay, awesome. Like, that's really great. I did it for the representation reason. And um, it went to going as far to like, now we want you to film this eight part youth documentary for Vice World News that's going to be showcased all across the world and like translated in how many different languages and everything just happened so quickly that I didn't get a time to breathe and be like okay let me put myself first and let me like not be a broken record on every single like platform and at 17 years old I mean immediately I was like I can't go to school like there's no way I can go to school in this this school that doesn't represent me it doesn't um like I don't feel like it's it's the best place for growth for me. So I decommitted from my school. Um, a lot of students at that school were, have very different thoughts than I did. So I knew that wasn't a space for me, but it was just like, for someone who's only 17, I'm only 19 now, it's only been two years, but like looking back, I was so different and so young and like so uneducated on certain topics that the fact that I let kind of people move my story. Cause you know, when you do media, they will cut things out that you say. And it is so, I, for a long time, I would just, I was so busy that I would do an interview. And also you have to remember like at the time I was also like founding an organization that is now like really big in retrospect to like what I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was just gonna be a space where I can do my scholarship fund. And now like my scholarship fund is almost at $30,000 for black youth. And that was also another project. It was like 7,000 things going on at one time. At the same time, it's like my mental health was deteriorating, but I didn't realize that until this year. Like it took me a year to like recover. Um, and like with everything, I didn't re I wasn't watching like my news interviews. I wasn't watching or reading articles. I didn't have time for that. Like the time that I came home and I took off my makeup at the end of the day and I laid in bed and I was like, dude, like the world is so like messed up. And I was doing these interviews, I was doing this because I wish that I would have saw someone like myself. You know, I definitely wanted to be someone who people looked up to in the community, um, especially coming out of this like little bubble area like, like I talk about. And I definitely wanted to be someone who like young people could look up, look up to. And I did it for like younger me. I didn't do it for other people though. Like that's the one thing that I, I one, if I, like, I could go back and like look at everything like that's the one thing like I did that for myself and like any advice that I'm ever giving out on interviews or anything like that's for younger me and that's like for my own healing process like now I will turn down an opportunity if I really don't feel like it and I prioritize my mental health but I didn't do that and so not realizing that certain outlets were erasing certain parts of my interview or um, whitewashing my message or making me look a certain way and not being able to like catch it before it releases. Like you sign all of these waivers and you realize like, 
oh my gosh, the media literally owns me just because I thought it was important to tell my story and like have a platform and talk about why I did these things. And then you don't even want to say the real reason why I did these things. Um, it got really dark for me really quickly. And I think that's something that I wish I would have like had the time to take in, but it didn't. And like, that's why I hate the term like, oh, like just cause I got the title of like, CNN, one of the young wonder heroes of 2020, or like Impact Warrior from honored by the Golden State Warriors, um, like stuff like that. Like, I, it's like I don't see myself as a hero. I see myself as a voice um, and someone who's like using their voice. Someone who genuinely like like some people may be like, yeah, like that's really inspirational. That's really cool. But at the end of the day, like I'm doing it because it needs to be said because no one else has like had that courage to do it. And it sucks because again, like I said earlier, like black and brown people do not have the responsibility of educating other people. Like other people need to do that for themselves. Like there's lots of resources, there's lots of books to read, but it's a lot easier and digestible when it is in media platform, whether it's like social media or like on a TikTok re or a reel or like whatever it is like it's a lot easier for people to digest that information but it's sad that someone always has to be on the forefront and it's always going to be like that in every single way like there always has to be a messenger and someone to tell the story and I think I'm okay with that role but that's the role that I'm okay with is being um the messenger to tell the story and once I started like looking at it that way instead of people like giving me this title that I'm like I'm, I'm a hero because I've realized how fricked up our society is like, oh, I'm an impact warrior because I'm taking stand, like, I don't want it to sound like I'm ungrateful for any of these titles. Of course, it's amazing. And I'm like, so grateful. But like, there's other people who have been doing work way longer than I have. There's other people who have like, like, exact, um, like, resources you know like have created their own websites have done like all of this extra work and you choose the 17 year old who like randomly just like got up and was like I'm gonna do a protest today like cute but the story was always cute and I feel like the media portrayed me as the cute 17 year old who cares about change and diversity and so cute but it, I, I don't think I was taken seriously until like I started laying it down like, like look I'm here because this is a messed up situation. I don't want to be in a situation. I don't want to have to be here. I don't want to be honored because I can speak up when other people feel so small that they can't speak up and they're not given the platform. Like I started the organization because I wanted to give other people the platform because activism is about passing the mic. It's not about like, oh, this is what I did. Look at my gold shiny metal. Like cool, good for you. What is it doing for society? What is it doing for other people? How are you giving back to a community that is hurt? And how are you like saying that message? And that's why like, I love podcasts. I love like doing like interviews like this. I will definitely do. But um, like ABC7 and like any other like news station, I'm very selective of when I do it. And I don't think people realize like, once you give your information to a news platform, they will constantly contact you. Um, it was like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, very unrelated to what I do. Um, but I posted something about being upset about it. And I had a news reporter like 
call me like Tiana can we get you on air today to talk about how you feel about the Rittenhouse trial I was like do you think I want to just like dump my trauma on on line because now I have to think about okay my transfer application now I have to worry about like colleges what if my application falls into the hands of someone who doesn't agree with what I'm doing okay now you have my opinion that's like publicly put out forever like it's published um so yeah I could talk about this all day but I think like at the end of the day activism is about what I said earlier like passing the mic and making sure other people and other voices are being heard um I would never want to like hog any opportunities like that which is why I feel like guilty at sometimes and I have a lot of great people and like support systems who are like don't feel guilty like at least you're getting the message across and it's not someone who's like fake about it um but yeah activism is about passing the mic and giving other people opportunities and being able to collaborate and work together to make um change in a common goal so I love what I do and I love the organization that I've created but that's definitely my space is like empowering other people to do work um rather than like honoring one person I'd like that's really why I created the organization is to make sure that like everyone gets a chance at like feeling that empowerment because it's a great feeling like once you feel it and you're like oh yeah I'm like hitting the ground running like let's do this like let's organize this it's so fun and it's so exciting and it's so rewarding like seeing the things that you do pay off and work on but um yeah I'm like totally getting besides the, the fact um media can be really crazy and really not um true so everyone listening stick to podcasts and books um I, I don't even watch the news I didn't start watching the news until people would be like oh you're on the news and I'm like cool but they're not even saying my message so should I even watch it um so yeah choose your media outlets wisely and get your information from good people and trusted sources like this awesome podcast where they're having real candid conversations that are not scripted um that's that's what I have for you <laughs> okay well first of all it's so crazy to think how quickly you were thrown into all of this just I know you mentioned it yourself a few times but I just kept thinking about that and how we started this interview with talking about how everything began with the George Floyd video and that was you hadn't even had you graduated that was a little bit after you graduated yeah, like right? literally the week after if a little less than a week so, so like, imagine going from someone who like doesn't say anything and has never said anything about like being black is a part of my identity like I've like mm -hmm. suppressed it for so long to like suddenly like on every single not every platform like but like you know but like many. So many platforms. <laughs> yeah and like people like suddenly like my follower account is going crazy just because I like finally talked. Like it was like a weird thing. It was like, wait, but like I had told myself not to talk for all these years, but now people love me because I talk. But when I talked back in high school, like I was sent to the principal's office and like went, like there's so many back and forth. And like, now that it's like, I have the street cred or like recognition, like, yes, she's a stamped activist, like whatever. It's like, people treat me so differently. And I'm like, I'm still the same person that you know, you said this too in high school, or I'm just, I'm, I didn't forget, I didn't change. Um, but yeah, like now people just like take me more seriously and it's kind of gross in a way, but it's, it's just an interesting dynamic to watch everything change just because of what the media can say about you, yeah. I would say. It's almost as if the media, the mass media went through its own um, black square phase where they were all just trying to be involved in some way. And 
I mean, yeah. as, as you've made clear, a lot of it was performative and just to mm-hmm. make it seem like they're contributing to the movement in some shape or form, but at the same time, making sure it still fits into their own narrative and what their, what their platform is trying to get across. So I, I really appreciate your plug for our podcast at the end, just podcasts in general. And I think that's what's so cool about Jackie and I being able to start this podcast is that we don't have to censor anything. We can post literally whatever we want. And it's not like we're posting anything that our school is going to be upset about, things like that. So there's no one no one above us telling us what we can and cannot post. And it's just amazing having people like you here who can speak their mind and not worry about being censored in the end. So I'm really glad we were able to provide that space for you because clearly that has not been your experience with many things. And ex- exactly what your your organization is doing is giving that option to youth like us who just want to be able to talk and have our own voices heard, have others' voices heard. And I think it's just really, just seeing things like this that our generation is um, taking initiative on is is really empowering. And it gives me hope, like I'm someone who is, is interested in pursuing broadcast journalism and being involved in even some of the media platforms you're talking about, but I wanna be part of the generation that (laughs) is not doing yeah. that, not censoring and actually putting real information into the mass media and ensuring that that is what's circulating, not false news or um, stories like yours that are true in some some manner, but they're being shaped to fit a certain, a certain image that that platform is trying to get across. So I think you brought up a lot of amazing points just now, but yeah. Thank you. Yeah, if there's one one thing I can leave anyone listening or you guys with is like be your own boss. Like yeah. sorry, girl boss moment. Like be your be your own boss because at the end of the day, like if you just keep giving back to capitalism, I can get get into this for yeah. one, but like honestly, like start your own news station, you know, like yeah. the, the Gen Z is the powerhouse of change making. Like I have never seen any group or like age group like and I think COVID has in quarantine like all that self-reflection has definitely helped with that but like we are literally so powerful in the fact that like I mean I can I can like say in so many different ways but like the way that we the access to technology that we have and like the fact that there's so many smart people in our generation like I have no doubt that so many things will change with us but like it definitely starts with teamwork and it starts with like being your own boss, like create those organizations, start a podcast. It doesn't matter if one person's listening or 10 people are listening, like you own something, like start owning your truth, whether that's like an organization, whether that's a news station, like whatever that is to you, whatever your dream is, like go for it and like start it because no one, like there's never going to be a right time to do it. You're never going to like be mastery in something like I didn't know how to start a nonprofit. I was 17. I couldn't even like legally say that I had the nonprofit. Um, but it's all about like resources and connections and networking, like always understand like where other people are coming from and value perspectives and like do all the good things that, you know, any smart person would like when making those connections, you never know, like the right person who's going to connect you to your lifelong dream of being a whatever. And that's like not really activism related, but I guess it could be translated into a lot of things. Just like, you know, chase your own dreams as cliche as it is, but like make sure it's authentic to you and like keep that authenticity and don't let people take that from you, I would say for sure. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think that is something that I really like about your commitment to change your own narrative. I think, 
you coming out and saying that like you're not a hero and you're just someone who wants to bring change to our community is really inspiring because it shows like kids in our generation that like activism and bringing about change is a lot more accessible than it may seem. Because I know in the past I struggled with like seeing these kids on the news who are doing great things, starting nonprofits being like, oh, I could never be like them. Like I am not as smart or as resourceful as they are. So therefore I can't be as impactful as they are. But in reality, these kids are still kids. And like we all go through this, well, similar experiences with like school and friends and like everyone is capable if they have some sort of interest in in something like what you do with um, Youth Advocates for Change, like using kids and their passions to bring about change, I think is a really great way for younger kids to get involved because it shows them that they don't need to be, they don't need to know everything um, Mm -hmm. to make a difference. Oh, definitely. 100%. And there's always people who are like backing that too. Like, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, like I'm so alone and I have this passion. I want to start this podcast or whatever. Like there's a lot of organizations that help. I mean, like, regardless where you're listening from, like not, I'm not like sitting here, like recruiting people, but like, you know, like my organization's always open. Like we have five state chapters. We're opening high school chapters this year, which is really cool. Like we have students in Kentucky, we have students in Ohio, we have students in Florida, like completely, I've never visited Ohio, you know, but there's like students there who have this passion and it's cool when that starts getting recognized, but definitely like build a team and surround yourself with people that you want to be with um, and people who are like on the next level than you. I think there's a lot of students in my organization I learn with, learn from more, like Paloma's two, three years younger than three years younger than me, I think maybe. And she, I've learned so much from her. Like, I love her. Long story short, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, Definitely just like word to everyone, like surround yourself with people who uplift you and like environments that support your growth. I think that's like the biggest thing with this generation and like the biggest thing that anyone should take with them, like moving on, like you're always gonna constantly grow. You're always gonna change and like change is a good thing and not to resist it. Beautiful last words for today's episode. (laughs) But seriously, thank you so much. I cannot explain how grateful we are to have had you on today, just to share your story, to share as again, educational information and just everything you've experienced throughout your activism journey. And I just know that you're going to grow, go on to do amazing things, um, especially within your own community right now. And that's really empowering to me is how much you've devoted time to the community that you're a part of and um, working towards improving, improving it for future generations. So yeah. Thank you guys.